Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello. Today is February 6th, and we've got a wonderful episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about the female body in literature. Um, Literature. (laughs) Which I promise will be much more exciting and less academic than it sounds. Um, And then um, the second half of the episode is, uh, well, well, let's just get there. That's that's mostly. (laughs) We're just going to get there because it's worth the wait, folks. It's worth Um, the wait. But anyway, uh, before we we dive into uh, the wonders of the female body. um, (laughs) Why this is going to be really good. We're clearly ready to handle this in a mature adult fashion. Um, Why don't you give us the news? Hooray. All right. So next Tuesday, we have our first guest. Yeah. Author Lily Anderson, the author of The Only Thing Worse Than Me Is You and the forthcoming Not Now, Not Ever uh, from Wednesday Books, which is St. Martin's Press, um, is going to be on the show. Uh It's going to be fun. If you follow Print Run on Twitter, you might know her as the the writer that like flirts with us both and like pits us against each other. Yeah. So that's exciting. We're also going to be doing a book giveaway for that. So look forward to more details. Also, if you are a Patreon subscriber, look for our query episode this Thursday, February 9th, and our first pages episode, February 23rd. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember also to submit us your query and your first pages um, at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, keep sending us stuff. Um, we are, you know, we I think we've been pretty good about getting to everybody's uh, stuff as they We're send trying. it. Yeah, so I mean, like... Um, Keep sending us materials, and we'll keep talking about it. It's been, I think, fun so far. Hooray. Um, I guess one last thing. Um, Print Run, this is a minor thing for, I guess, some of our listeners. Print Run now has a Twitter account. Um, So you should follow us at at, at Print Run Podcast. Um, mostly I'm thus far I've just mostly used it to uh, like harangue Stephen King about stuff and like um, say hello in a very sexy yeah. <laughs> creepy way to all the other animals on Twitter yeah 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 um, so the print run podcast Twitter account is a loon it's a, it's also it's you know aesthetically it, it's a work in progress I, I don't know that we've found the voice yet but um, it's we, a loon we sure are trying folks uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah come find us uh, we're, we're on the internet now and we shall be sending out all sorts of news on that it too it's a terrible so. idea to let you run our Twitter account yeah well I'm not giving you the password so <laughs> <laughs> well then all right um, moving on well why don't why don't you lead us into this wonderful discussion Because I have a female body. You, after all, are the female. I am. I am the female. Yep. That's why I'm the fun one and you're the smart one on this show. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're both smart. She said it. Her word's not mine. We're both smart. I'm a Ravenclaw. I bet he's a Hufflepuff. Oh, my God. Are we really doing – I refuse to participate in Harry Potter houses. Are you a Hufflepuff? I don't know what I am. You might be a Slytherin. I refuse to think about it. It's not something I, I don't choose know. to engage with. I don't know. Anyway, that'll be a different episode. So female it will not bodies. Be a different episode. Because Harry Potter doesn't pass <clears throat> the Bechtel test. Okay. Female bodies. I read a lot. Surprise. Uh-huh. So does Eric. Yeah. And we've noticed that there is some interesting consistencies with how women are presented in literature. Yeah. And it's kind of a little scary sometimes, and it's a little funny sometimes. For me, it's – I mean, I guess, you know, what the hell do I know? But usually it's funny to me because these some of these things come off as so absurd. But And I, we've talked yeah. about the absurdity of 
<clears throat> specifically female sexuality when we've yeah. talked about the bad sex awards yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of bigger than that. It's just kind of like any time a woman is on the page, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so we've narrowed it down yeah. to four four ways that a woman is described in writing. Mm-hmm. So writers take note because this is how it's done. Take note. <laughs> take note. I think in a <laughs> please quit doing this sort yes, of way. Um, I think what we're going to be getting at here are some tropes uh, that we see and. Um, I, hopefully the idea is that we can move past some of this stuff. But in the meantime, they sure are humorous. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about what these four sections are. Uh-huh. And then we're going to talk about what it kind of means. <clears throat> yeah. But first, because this is just really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, did you know that in literature, women are very often birds? <laughs> except for when you're having sex with yeah. them and then they're cats. Then you're a cat, yeah. Then exactly. they're cats. Right. <laughs> if you're thinking, what in the heck, Laura, are you talking about? Yeah, let's get let's get some let's get some quotes here. We have quotes. Yep. Oh boy, do we have quotes? Yeah. James Joyce. We're just starting it off right. In so the- this is yeah. So that's the funniest part about this is a lot of these books we're you know we're going to be pointing to are you know written decades apart, different eras, different genres, different types of authors, all sorts of stuff. But yeah, give us the Joyce quote. Oh boy, this is from a portrait of the artist as a young man. A girl stood before him in midstream, alone and still, <laughs> gazing out to sea. She seemed like one whom magic had changed into the likeness of a strange and beautiful seabird. Hmm. Not specific, just a seabird. <laughs> Her long, slender bare legs were delicate as a crane's and pure save where an em- emerald tear of tear- trail of seaweed had fashioned itself as a sign upon her flesh. Her thighs, fuller and softer hued as ivory, were bared almost to the hips, where the white fringes of her drawers were like featherings of soft white down. Her slate blue skirts were kilted boldly above her waist and dovetailed behind her. Her bosom was as a bird's. What does that mean? Soft and slight. Do birds have bosoms? They have breasts. Like you eat chicken breasts. Right, but like... (laughs) I don't know. All I know I, is that they bury their heads in them when they sleep. Well. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Continue. <laughs> uh, her bosom was as a bird, soft and slight. Slight and soft as the breast of some dark plumaged dove. Mm-hmm. They had to repeat it twice. Perfect. Yeah, I know that. But her long hair was as girlish and girlish and touched with the wonder of mortal beauty, her face. So that's a bird lady. So let's talk about the bird lady for a second. Yeah. Um, why? Why? Why do we think that women get turned into birds in in books? Because, like, you can almost it it kind of speaks to a certain amount of like ethereal, you know, that these men want to like put. It's like they're barely real, you know. They're kind of like. Um, you know, I guess you can get like sort of the long-legged nature of like a flamingo or a crane or something. You know what I mean? But like, I've you always can, wanted to be a you crane. Pi- you, you, you picture how like a man like James Joyce would see these women and be like all leg, and then like, you know, it's just well, there's so I think there's a lot of different levels to this. Yeah. One is just the very fact of viewing a person as an animal, yeah, which kind of dehumanizes them a little bit. It makes them more of an object. It makes them easier to sexualize. It yeah. makes them easier to not necessarily have to worry about things like who they are, or their personality or right. whatever. Right. 
but the birds specifically, I think we have to think about how birds are treated in literature. Yeah. And birds are delicate. They fly away. They don't, you know, you yeah. you cage a bird and most of the time it's not happy. They're practically ornamental. They're ornamental. You, know? you yeah. love you own birds. You've owned I birds. I used to own birds. I no longer sadly own Okay, t- birds. talk to me about what a bird is like. <laughs> they're ornamental. Yeah, yeah. What they're, do you they're, mean they're by practically that? they're practically decoration, you know? Like I mean, at least the birds I own the little finches. It's like you get them to just like fit in with the room, you know. You don't really interact with them much. You don't like at least, at least these ones. Like you don't like. You just watch them because they're pretty. They're just like there, yeah. No, and they're you keep them in a cage. It's like because having they're pretty. it's like practically holding a, having like a goldfish or something. You know, they're just kind of like part of the room at some point. It's mm. not really a. Um, <laughs> it's not a very active. In- the, the the bird certainly doesn't have any agency in your life. You know. Um, yeah. No. I so I think that there is a certain amount of, like possessiveness and i want to i want to talk about specifically what that means for the narrative after i read this next so the first one is james joyce this next one the hunger games by suzanne collins okay so so this this is interesting because it's a different you know this is modern this is um a woman writing this yep um which i think gets a a point we're going to make later on here but read it okay so they're talking not about katniss but they're talking about prim uh-huh. She's the 12 year old, the one who reminded me, or no, sorry, not Prim, uh, Rue. They're talking about Rue. She's the 12 year old, the one who reminded me so of Prim in stature. Up close, she looks about 10. She has bright, dark eyes and satiny brown skin and stands tilted up on her toes with arms slightly extended to her sides, as if ready to take wing at the slightest sound. It's impossible not to think of a bird. Yeah. Okay. So we have these two. You know, writers of different genders. Mm-hmm. We have writers of different centuries. Yeah. Um, we have writers of different genres, but they both talk about women as birds, or I guess, uh, you know, female right. characters as birds. Right. Um, one's a child, one's presumably older, but you know, honestly, who the who the hell knows? <laughs> um, so here's here's also kind of a point that I'm going to be getting at again and again. The way that a woman is described, especially in how they're first described, uh-huh. beyond just, you know, her hair looks like this, her face, you know, her nose yeah, looks yeah, like yeah. this, et cetera. Like, like the kind of metaphorical structure of that description is going to tell you what's going to happen in the book. Yeah. So, um, you know, a, a bird easily flies away and can be caged, but, you know, they're they're meant to be out and, you know, not tied to anything. The character right? usually ends up doing that in some regard exactly. in the story. Yeah. They're, you know, they're meant to be ephemeral, to be barely held but regarded. They're meant to, you know, have a relationship but then kind of fly away. Right. Um, or there's some, some idea of conquest if somebody, like, lands the bird, mm-hmm. right? Um. Also, that that kind of ephemeral, delicate nature speaks a lot to, um, you know, how they're going to be staying around. So, you know, Rue in The Hunger Games, spoiler alert, if you haven't read it and you want to, close your ears. But really, you have no excuse because it's a movie franchise and the books have been out forever. Plus, Jennifer Lawrence is America's sweetheart. She is. She truly is. <laughs> Rue dies. Like, yeah. Rue not only dies, but Rue dies after Katniss finds her and takes care of her. 
you know, I mean, they kind of take care of each other, but like really Katniss kind of bonds with her because she's kind of the little sister figure, et cetera. So she's being taken under somebody's wing and then she dies kind of in this like horrible, basically like hunting style accident. Like some, I think they're shot or something like a knife is thrown. I can't remember. It's been a long time. Um, but again, they're fleeting. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're not always there. So, that's your birds. Yeah. Um, please note, I don't actually have a quote for the cat thing. I think we've maybe have talked about it a little bit before. <laughs> but women, when they have sex, they always like mule like uh, yeah, a, and like snuggle becoming, like a kitten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Very yeah. Cat-like. So they're so they're birds yeah. except for when they're horny and then they're and then they're cats. Yeah. Um, it's all so very, nice. fall, it's all very above board, normal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to get. I'm looking at this document to put together. Let's get to the women as other things. I want to do this. Okay, so we've got birds, specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. women as birds, and then we've got women as other objects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a quote from William Goldman, aka S. Morgan Stern, from The Princess Bride. Uh-huh. Buttercup's mother was as was a gnarled shrimp of a woman. <laughs> I've always wanted yeah, to be yeah, described yeah, yeah. as a shrimp. Yeah, a gnarled shrimp. A gnarled shrimp yeah. of a woman, thorny and worrying. Are shrimp horny? Thorny? Thorny. Thorny? Like, I guess, like, the tail maybe is a little maybe? thorny. I don't know. We're not zoologists, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For sure. Yeah. Thorny and worrying, who had always dreamed of somehow just once being popular. Oh. Okay. This is my favorite one. The next this. one, which is Ernest Hemingway from The Sun Also Rises. Again, very different books. Stop laughing. I can't. I can't stop laughing. I can't. She was built with curves like the hull of a racing yacht, and you miss none of it with that wool jersey. <laughs> like the hull of a racing yacht. I, is that the last vestige for us men? Is, is to compare is to compare our women to our speedboats. That's all. <laughs> That's all we have left. <laughs> uh, a time when men were men and we could call our women boats. So, so Eric, yeah. extrapolate for me. What? What? Why? Well, obviously, I want to have sex with my boat. Clearly. That's what we're doing here. Clearly. I because mean, what is a boat? <laughs> what, is, what type of man buys a boat? Oh, man. One who's, I don't know, what well, you tell me. I don't know, a lot of, like, men in their middle it's age. It's kind of a midlife like, crisis item, to- yeah. I mean, like, we live in Minnesota, yeah. so, like, some people just, like, have boats because they've always had boats. Yeah. But the people who get, like, a yeah. fancy speeding yacht. Well, plus you usually name the boat, like, it's a it's a woman's name, right? Like, a boat is a feminine object. Ooh, yes. You know? So it's all just one big, you know, middle-aged. Um, Wet dream? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I believe is the technical term. Yeah. Um, so you again can see like you're you're yeah. supposed to see that, you know, we're supposed to see this woman only as an object. Right. Whereas the the mother in the Princess Bride, you know, she's we hear I read I read more than just the description. So she's a gnarled shrimp of a woman. And then later on it said, you know, that she wanted to be popular. Well, if you think of, you know, shrimp they curl in on themselves they're you know they're not they're not welcoming well so that's the other thing here yeah the other thing here is that everyone is either presented as younger than they are older than they are yes i feel like you know you're either presented as girlish or you're like a gnarled you know corpse of a woman like there's no real well don't you know that after you have babies (laughs) you just like shrivel up and die yeah no i didn't i did know that that's (laughs) it's it's basic science (laughs) Um, no, I mean, it's, 
it's just interesting. Um, but that kind of gets into this into this next bit here, the the negging. Yep, yep. Okay, so there's a third way to talk about women in mm-hmm. description. Yeah. And it's by negging them. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with this term, negging is a term used by pickup artists which are like the really gross <laughs> men who have like reality TV shows. Wasn't there, wasn't there like a book called like the Pickup Artist Manual or something? I think so. It, yeah. So it's so negging is the way that very mediocre self-conscious men pick up attractive women. And yeah. here's how they do it. Yeah. They neg them, which is giving them a backhanded compliment. Uh-huh. So you know, saying I guess a really obvious example would be, um, oh, I love your smile even with your yellow teeth. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. even though your teeth are kind of yellow. Right, like it's right. it's it's right. supposed to kind of build them up and yeah. keep keep you talking while also completely tearing them down yeah, and do, making them self conscious. Yeah, you want to definitely lower their self esteem. That's yep. a key aspect to all pickup. Yep. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Stop. <laughs> so my favorite and and this this is where we get to what is commonly termed in writing as the manic pixie dream girl. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The manic pixie dream girl. I feel like you see a lot more of those than I do in your Guess how I feel about that. Into NYA. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Uh, so, so tell, yeah, what is a manic pixie dream girl? So a manic pixie dream girl is a character who exists kind of almost purely in the imagination of a male character, not really, I mean, they're real, but a woman that exists to push them out of their boundaries and show them how wonderful life is. And they're always quirky and listen to like indie rock and have pink hair. And yeah. They just kind of exist to like bring out the main characters like development. Exactly. So (laughs) it's in a lot of YA, it's in a lot of romance, but it's also in literary fiction. Oh man. So this uh, is from a short story by Murakami. Mm-hmm. To tell you the truth, she's not that good looking. <laughs> <laughs> I do find that to be a funny sentence, but she doesn't stand out in any way. Her clothes are nothing special. The back of her hair is still bent out of shape from sleep. She isn't young either, must be near 30, not even close to a girl, properly speaking. But still, I know from 50 yards away, she's the 100% perfect girl for me. The moment I see her, there's a rumbling in my chest and my mouth is as dry as a desert. Okay, so obviously there's a lot in there, but one thing I do want to get at, and this is kind of going to relate to our discussion about how all this affects writers now, um, is... There's the line in here where, you know, he feels the need to clarify, not even close to a girl, properly speaking. Like, he, this is an author who is aware of the tropes, you know, like, because this constant, you know, making women into girls in these descriptions is so frequently happens and is such a given, to decide not to do that is like a point in and of itself that needs addressing, right? Like, he almost has to address the you know, the elephant that's been placed in the room by saying, well, she's not even close to a girl because the assumption anytime you start describing anyone you find is beautiful is that you would call them girlish. Yeah, that's in true. In a description, you know? So it's like you suddenly have to start arguing against things that no one – and I, that's well, that's where I think a lot of this ends up is you end up with kind of these warped descriptions because of all this whole tradition of strange, you know, treatment of women in literature that you have – anytime you want to 
describe someone as something other than the trope, you have to address the trope. And even and by doing so, you just kind of feed it more, you know? Yeah, it gets weirdly warped. You know, this this character is saying that this person doesn't stand out, but they say that they're also standing 150 feet away. Yeah. So, like, of course they don't stand out. Like, they're a long-ass yeah. ways away. I don't yeah. know. That's kind of ridiculous to, spec- to expect a character to shine like the sun from 50 yards away. Yeah. But, like, it's okay. Like, this character could totally just say, hey, I saw this woman that I was attracted to. It doesn't need to be I was attracted to her in spite of the fact that she wasn't good looking, in spite of the fact that, you know, her hair was messy or whatever. Yeah. So then, of course, we're we're given what she's not, and we have to kind of applaud the male character for finding her attractive anyway. That's the thing, right, is it lowers the bar of, like, <laughs> male behavior so far. In these books, because anytime, you know, like basically the implication here, I think to some extent, and you could put it this way, um, is this character should be patted on the back for not calling this woman a bird. Yes. You know, (laughs) like Like, I love her even though she's not a bird. It's like there's just this whole tradition of strange, weird descriptions, whether it's a boat or a. (laughs) <laughs> anytime you anytime you just call a woman a woman, it's like a it's like an event. You know, it's an event that is worth like commemorating. It's you have to like pause at for a second because it's so unusual. Um, and men and women do this. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's it's, it's just kind of a, um, yeah, and you see it now still too. Um, but it's like to dig out from that. That's that's tricky because you have to kind of start to defy those questions that pop up as you start writing, you know, it's like you feel the tropes and then you just have to kind of ignore the tropes, I think. Yeah. And that's, it's trickier. It's easier said than done, I think. Um, but it's, it's probably a necessary step to kind of get past some of this stuff. I have another example. Please. Uh, so this is from Miss Jane Austen oh. from Pride and Prejudice talking about <clears throat> Georgiana Darcy. Everybody's favorite, Jane Austen. Yeah. Well, I needed, I need, if we were talking about women, I needed to find an Austen quote. Mm-hmm. So I went with the easy one. Um, Georgiana Darcy, which is Mr. Darcy's younger sister. Miss Darcy was tall and on a larger scale than Elizabeth. That's Mm -hmm. a nice way to put that she was fatter. Um, And though little more than 16, her figure was formed and her appearance womanly and graceful. Well, yeah, she's bigger. She's, you know, fat. Um, Buxom. She's buxom. (laughs) She was less handsome than her brother. Great. Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, I've always wanted to be compared to my opposite gendered siblings. Mm-hmm. But there was sense and good humor in her face, and her matters were perfectly unassuming and gentle. So this comes right before Georgiana very closely bonds with Elizabeth while, yeah. you know, Mr. Darcy's still yeah. being a prick, right? Right, right. Um, so <clears throat> this also kind of presents Mr. Darcy as like this wonderful man for even though he's more handsome and he's grumpy for like doting on this like slightly fat, like less attractive <laughs> version, like woman yeah. version of himself. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So yeah. it's all it's all very odd. Um, it's it's the same thing. It's just that you're sitting under the whole invisible weight of how you're, how women get described in yeah. in books, and a lot of it is really funny, but a lot of it is it's kind of, you know, it's kind of insidious a little bit. It kind of turns, 
Yeah, I they don't can't know. they can't ever just be what they are. Yeah. You know, it always it always speaks to what character or like who they're gonna be as the book progresses, or even if they're gonna get to be a well drawn character. You yeah. know, I bet you for you know, I bet you twenty dollars that the yacht lady does not become a well drawn character. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um Georgiana also, you know, is is just a foil yeah. to Mr. Darcy. She's not well drawn at all. Well, so let's talk a second about, you know, well drawn characters um and kind of that initial characterization we get of some of these people. And this is something um you've talked about before, not really on the show, I don't think, but um well maybe during our romance episode a little bit, but you and I have talked about it a lot. Um where you you've asked before for you know romance or fiction that has um, a female character that you know isn't kind of idyllically you know or traditionally pretty and or has yes. isn't like defined entirely by her relationship status and you know you ask for this stuff but the point you always make that I find so interesting is that you don't want it to be a thing. I don't want it to be a plot point. So, so like, right. Like, so can you say more on that? Because I think that even that sentence kind of speaks to the sort of hidden expectation that comes with most female characters, especially most female main characters. Yeah, absolutely. So specifically when I talk about that, I'm talking about um, romance. I mean, I'm I'm talking about that for everything, but mostly with romance. Um, Because romance, you're given two attractive people who end up together. Right. And you're supposed to be reading from them and you're supposed to be attracted to the idea of them both. Uh Uh-huh. Um, in romance, it's kind of a default that the character is pretty, slim, young, white, etc. Right. Um, and if they're fuller figured, uh-huh. if they're bigger, uh-huh. well, first of all, they're always like kind of chubby and always like size eight, <laughs> which is just not a thing. The average yeah. size in America is 14 or 16, FYI. Um, and 14 and 16 is where plus size starts. So if you're a size 12, you're not plus size. Um, and they're, yeah, they're always like not actually that chubby. They're still like smaller than the average American. And it's always a thing. It's always, Hey, this guy with washboard abs likes me even though I'm fat. Or what if he sees me naked? Or what if I'm wearing my granny panties today? That So yeah, so that slight, that slight variation on the understood trope yes. becomes practically the point of the book. It saying. becomes the point Be- of the book. Yeah, and that's, I think, harmful in its own way, right? Because all it does really does is acknowledge the trope, you know, because when, if you spend the whole time acknowledging that you're not doing the thing... The you're thing, still doing the, the thing. The thing is being defined, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, so I, I'm always looking for characters that just slightly shift the way that you're reading something. Right. You know, that slightly shift. It's not, hey, I'm slightly chubby and I still landed a guy with abs. It's more of, hey, I'm in, like, this is somebody and this is just the way that this they are. This is a human being. It's a human being. <laughs> like, that's really what it is. Like, it's just being a human. There's never, not, we have, it's amazing that we haven't even said that yet. You know what I mean? Like, these women are never described as human beings they're just and i find it strange like i'm i'm not someone who loves to have all these like you know we've kind of been doing it a lot but these like socially conscious conversations um but it takes away from the book it does that's what that's why i started paying attention to it it's like it's just silliness like it's (laughs) 
it's these like you know you get this you know you present a male character and it's like all right here's your here's your guy that's fine great and the guy can be anything he, he can, can be look anything. like anything it doesn't matter he can it's have completely any personality. it's completely beside the point um, but then as soon as you get to the female it's like everything just goes fucking nuts like so. <laughs> Suddenly, you've got to have all these like paragraphs. You got to have all these metaphors and descriptions, and like, and it tells you exactly what role they occupy. In yeah, the book. exactly. And so, if and you describe a woman like a boat at the very beginning, I know that she's not going to be a, an important part of the book. <laughs> exactly. Like you're already telling me yeah. that, and you're not supposed to drop those. You know, you're not supposed to tell the reader that right away. It's just really, yeah. It's just a really strange. It's really strange, you know, and. Um, I know I still see it in submissions yeah, all I mean, the time. There's like, there's a fourth category, yeah. which is Let's kind of that. the opposite, which kind of gets to the strong the strong woman. Yeah. Uh, which I define as women is scary and untouchable. Yeah. This quote is from Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Terry Pratchett, rest in peace. The men in the room suddenly realized that they did not want to know her better. She was beautiful, but she was beautiful in the way a forest fire was beautiful. Something to be admired from a distance, not up close. We still have an object. We still still, have an object. You still have an object. I mean, it's still a, you know, her defining feature is that the men, I mean, just look at the subject of the sentence. I mean, you know, the nominative case here is the men in the room, you know, like they're they're the ones doing the realizing. Um, They're the ones with all the agency in the sentence. It's like even a description about her. She's all supposed to be looked at. She's that's, that's all she is here. I mean, and she was, she was beautiful, but she was beautiful in the way a forest fire was beautiful. It's yeah. So like, why do you think the the scary and untouchable thing happens? Because there are always people that are more attractive than you, or richer than you, or whatever. And and God forbid you ever talk to those. God people. forbid you ever talk to those people, <laughs> or treat them like humans. That or just, treat them like humans. Just because you can't have sex with them Ex- suddenly means you're ne- you can never talk to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't yeah. you do that? Yeah, no, I never talk with any to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have very many conversations, folks. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so that that's kind of our yeah. our text driven rant about that's, female characters. So that's all very academic and highbrow um, to some extent, and mostly I think in this episode it is the what we call the academic underpinning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to what we'll be doing the rest of this show, um, but why don't why don't we transition to that? Great with, a, with what? So, yeah. <laughs> listeners, it's mm. time for our James Patterson book of the week. Yes, I love it. So this book debuts tomorrow or today, as you're listening, February seventh, twenty seventeen. Okay, and just so everyone is remembers what we're doing here, um, the idea is that James Patterson has something of his release literally every single week. Yep. And we've decided to go in and highlight one a week. One a week. Anytime there's a book of his, we're going to we're going to bring it up just This as... one is this week's. <laughs> so this is part of his yeah, bookshots yeah, yeah. program, which oh, if the you bookshots, yeah. which if you don't remember is basically like novellas but branded for men. Yeah, 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 because I can't possibly be bothered to read something longer than like 100 or so pages. And it the 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 name of the form is novella and it kind of sounds girly. Yeah, no, so. it's, that's not that's not going to work for me. So this this book, yep, is called The Woman's War. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. The woman. The woman's war. The woman's war. All right, all right, all right. what do we got? Okay, I'm just going to read the copy yeah, yeah, to yeah, you please. guys. I will avenge my husband and children. Hell yeah, you will get them. Former Marine Corps Colonel Amanda Collins, because she has to be a Marine. Yeah. 
Marine Corps Colonel Amanda Collins and her lethal team of woman warriors. <laughs> is this like an all-female, like, army, like, death squad? Yeah, it's like is the Expendables, like... but yeah, with yeah, all yeah, ladies. Yeah, all right, good, good. And her lethal team uh-huh. of woman warriors have mm. vowed to avenge her family's murder, and they have nothing left to lose. Ooh. Book shots. Man, that, and that's all you get for the copy, that's too. All, that's well, the funniest well, the thing. book shots, they only give you little snippets. Yeah, 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 because that's practically the whole book right there. Like, yeah. I feel like we just got the entire plot. Yeah. <laughs> wow, the so women's war. The women's war. Yeah, I might have to. And it's 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 going after men and men and children. Like that's that's what the war is. Yeah. They no. can't be like fighting in Iraq because that would just be No, no, no. We got it. Somehow we even make the female death squad domestic. <laughs> like we give this woman an AK and some camo and still it's still about the husband. Yes. Um anyway, um so I'm very excited yeah. about this next part. But that's not so you're excited about the women's war, but you're uh-huh. mostly excited about something else that James Patterson is doing. Yeah. Tell the folks yeah, about so, that. So James Patterson, um, I, I've been kind of tweeting about this because I got far too overly excited. Um, but he's having a little contest um, that I have decided to immediately enter. Tell me more. Um, and it's called <clears throat> Co-Author a Book with James Patterson. <laughs> yeah. So um, for the second time, Patterson will pick a student from his master class to be his co-author. So I haven't signed up for the master class or anything yet. Do you but have I, to sign up for the master um, class? Maybe, probably. I'm Does prob- it cost money? I don't know. We're going to sign up, but I have been filling out my application. Um, oh, because, good. So um, here's the competition. Ready? The James Patterson co-author competition is back as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for any writer, published or not. It is only open to students in James' master class. Is it once in a lifetime if it happens more than once? Yeah. And, I mean, apparently, I mean, he publishes a book literally a week. So how once in a lifetime can it be? I don't know. Um, So really you can write, like, the idea here, I guess, is that you can be one of the co-authors writing, like, NYPD Fuchsia or whatever it is that he's he's coming out with next. Like, um, if you want to write the next women's war, you you can do it. Um, So here we go. How to enter. This is the part that um, I found very funny. Um, So here we go. Come up with a great idea that you think could be the next best-selling mystery or thriller. I have. Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) Is it a mystery or a thriller? You know, it's a little of both. I would call it a thrilling mystery. Mm. Um, It's also a serious plan that I I came up with here. It's not a mystery thriller? Mm-mm. No, no, no. Mysterious the, thriller. I think the I think the crux is the mystery. Okay, so it's, it's a thrilling mystery, yeah, not yeah. a mysterious thriller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So, okay, here we go. Submit a two sentence hook and sample chapter for your story idea. Okay, so your submission should have mass market appeal. It does, and resonate with James's writing style. And let me tell you, it does. Um, it should have a gripping hook. And this is my favorite part of this whole thing. For example, think Rosemary's Baby's hook. A woman finds herself pregnant with the devil. Ready for ready for the next line of this of this descriptive copy. Immediately, the reader thinks this is going to be cool. <laughs> as soon as I hear a woman finds herself pregnant with the devil, my very matter of response is a word. Just, <laughs> just all right, all right, all right. Here we go. The book should also feature characters we care about. We either love them or hate them, but we're not indifferent towards them. And finally, the story should be fast-paced with every chapter moving the plot and characters forward. Imagine your story unfolding scene by scene like a movie. Because you can't just think about craft as far as books go. You need to do it as a movie. Okay, so um, you basically – you have to submit – 
um, a hook, a hundred words, like your you know your little pitch, right, and a thousand word maximum sample chapter. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily, dear listener, I have created both. I sat down. Oh, <laughs> I sat down today, and I, in a flurry of excitement, wrote my hook in my sample chapter of a thousand words uh, for James. Um, because I book. intend, I intend to be, I intend to be James Patterson's next co-author. This is it. This is. I'm sorry, folks. This is how I leave. I think it's run. fair to say that you want to be the next James Patterson. Yeah, no, not just is, the next James. Well, yeah, Patterson's because co-author. I, I, I'm, this series I have is good for at least 50 books. So, um, anyway, I I wrote a hook, and I figure so. If you haven't listened to our first pages show, um, which is part of our Patreon thing. Um, basically, we read like the first page of a novel and like stop and critique it and stuff. And so I figured, Laura, that you can help me get my submission into oh shape here. Oh my gosh, um, this so, is gonna be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, are we ready? Are we ready? For I that? have the gong ready. <laughs> I have, the mallet is prepared. Okay. So, <clears throat> all right. So, are you ready? this is this is my application. Um, the book is ta- is called Criminal Negligence. And the subtitle is A Man Venture. It stays. A Man Venture stays. A Man Venture. <laughs> just like bookshops. Yeah, a yeah, man just like, venture. Yeah. yeah, no, I figure the idea here is to just appeal to the most base form of masculinity, especially based on how we've learned how to describe women. I mean, this is going to be. Oh, this did, is you gonna, use, did you use the skills? Oh, yeah, that no, we I, learned talk- a, I learned a lot from the first part of our, of our show today <laughs> to write. <laughs> we'll, say that, we'll say that that textual analysis really informs my work. Um, I know you guys can't see us, but I've literally never seen Eric smile so much as he has been in the past two minutes. Oh, I'm very excited. Okay, give us the pitch. Um, Here we go. Blaze, and so his first name this uh, is is Blaze, B-L-A-I-Z-E. Ready? Yep. Blaze, the Blaze, McLaughlin, (laughs) (laughs) is, is the finest detective New York City has ever seen. But when a poetry professor turns up dead, he's in for the toughest case of his career. As they uncover the facts, stanza by bloody stanza. <laughs> nope. Yep. Uh, Laura, Laura, that's a metaphor. Bloody stanza. <laughs> bloody stanza. As they uncover the facts, stanza by bloody stanza, the blaze must decide quickly whether he's too manly or not manly enough to tackle a conspiracy deeper and more fluid than he ever could have imagined. More fluid? Oh, yeah. Are we... What? Oh, yeah. What does that oh, yeah. mean? Oh, we'll, well, we'll find out, won't we? Um, oh, gosh. So, basically, we've got... Um, well, I, I figure rather than describing the story, we should just get into the oh, sample. Oh, show me pages, your sample huh? chapters. Oh, Lord. Yeah. All right. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> so, this is chapter one of Criminal Negligence, which I wrote in, like... Yeah, it wasn't good. I hadn't eaten. (laughs) All right, here we go. Oh, God, you're killing me, she screamed from behind the closed door. It was cold out here, and he was tired of listening to her. He turned his back and walked away. She was being, and he knew she hated being called this, but if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, a bit hysterical. (laughs) So we already have a woman that's hysterical. Great. And and being compared to a duck, yeah. Yep. I was trying to, yeah. It's not, um, it is a bird. It's yeah. a bird. Yeah, duck's a bird. All right, here we go. He only needed a goddamn minute just to head back inside the police station and make sure the coffee pot was off before they got on their way. It wasn't like the bodies at the crime scene were getting any more dead. 
Plus, if the whole station caught on fire because she left the machine on, who would be laughing then? Because of course it would be her who left it on. (laughs) He would be. And he had half a mind to let the place burn to the ground so that he could tell her, that's what happens when you don't double check, while the fire truck rolled up. It was important to be right. (laughs) Eric. Oh, God. Yeah. So if you haven't realized already, I think this perhaps is some satire. That that's I mean, that's reader interpretation. I don't (laughs) know. I'm the author. Authorial intent, I was, we've established. It doesn't matter. Counts for very little, so. Whew. All right, continue. Keep going. Everybody. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Blaze, the Blaze, McLaughlin. The finest detective this precinct had ever seen and probably all the neighboring precincts, too. <laughs> He'd been working here since the 80s, and while he hadn't really been promoted, per se, they kept handing him cases and new partners, and no one yelled at him when he took his shoes off anymore. Same. <laughs> A real detective's detective. A real pro's pro. His dad had been a scab during the lumber strikes, and it always said, the trick to work is just showing up. And so that's what the Blaze did. He showed up. With no shoes? <laughs> I like to picture the Blaze as someone who takes his feet off at his, his shoes off at his desk. Does he sit with his shoes up on the desk? Yeah, well, I don't know what he does, but his feet are definitely up on the desk in my imagining With here. no shoes. Yeah, I like to, so he's really like, you know, asserting himself in the space. I feel like mm. James will like that. Like, you know, you've got this guy named the Blaze who's, like, not worried about, you know, getting his manly feet all over the workspace. Yeah. I feel like that's a big power move, and I think that it's going to call me through some submissions. Um, I think James is going to really appreciate that. <laughs> I think you might be underestimating James a little bit, but that's okay. Keep going. Well, well, that's for the reader to decide. The button on the machine was off, and the burner was cool. But it could have been on, which was his point. And how the hell were they supposed to do detective work if they were worried they'd left a burner on? Didn't think of that, did you? He said aloud to the empty room before pouring the dregs of the cold coffee into a paper cup. He stood there and drank it. Gross. <laughs> a quick bathroom break and they'd be on their way. He could hear her laying on the horn outside while he washed his hands. His radio sounded, where are you? She shrieked like a banshee. Because, of course. No, it's important to describe all women speaking as banshees and shrieking and hysterical, yeah. I yeah. feel like that's important for James. I mean, that's all I do on right. this radio no, yeah, show no, that's all. <laughs> Okay, here we go. I'm coming out, he enunciated into the walkie-talkie. Over. Professionalism at every turn. Well, hurry up. If there was one thing the Blaze hated, it was being told to hurry up. His second wife, the judge at the divorce court... The waitress at the diner where he went after divorce court. (laughs) I actually really like that. (laughs) And now his new partner, Sandy or Kelly or whoever, one of those Y names, a girl young enough to be his daughter, had any woman been smart enough to procreate with him, the blaze. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's right. She was always yelling. And on top of that, she always snatched the keys to the squad car before he could get them first. Everything was backward now. Because she's driving? Right, yeah. Mm. (laughs) The engine was idling as he approached the passenger door of the car. Hopefully we won't need to get gas, he thought. The blaze buckled himself in. See, he said, that didn't take too long. We should have been down there 20 minutes ago, she answered, swerving the car into traffic, cutting off what were probably countless other drivers in the process. Who knows what the scene looks like now? He doesn't know that she cut people off. He just assumed. He just assumed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be one hell of a book shot. It's going to get you real book drunk. <laughs> oh, All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Okay, that. All right. 
So let's get that last line again. Who knows what the scene looks like now? A scene doesn't look like anything, the Blaze said, tilting his head out away from her and wishing he had a cigarette to complete the hammering home of one of his famed and beloved signature lines until the eyes of good detectives do the looking. <laughs> she, stare, she stared at him blankly, probably with admiration. <laughs> You're basically a fortune cookie that has to pee a lot, she said. The car merged onto the freeway. <laughs> she was prettiest when she was angry, and he considered telling her so, like a regal crane at the zoo. Except Another bird. <laughs> Another bird. Except if the crane had lips and hair. <laughs> Which, as he thought about it, wasn't that pretty sounding. But hey, if he wanted to be a poet, he'd quit his job and buy pants three sizes too small and start drinking. What was it he was seeing them order now? Kombucha. Animals, all of them. I hear I, in that sentence, I feel a little bit of um, you in that. <laughs> you. Which which part? I mean, I don't think you drink kombucha. You're, you're Are you you're psychoanalyzing? But you do enjoy a tight fitting pant. Well, folks, I don't uh, guilty ass charges. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. I've peed more experience than you've got in your whole body. He says. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. It's a metaphor. For what? Women like her were always asking him to explain things. God damn it, Eric. <laughs> Usually he relished the task, but not today. Today it was time to fight crime and solve mysteries. How about we just focus on fighting crime and solving mysteries, he told her. <laughs> he was always having to steer things back on course. When was the last time, do you think, that you actually solved a mystery? She asked. Another gotcha question. He, the blaze, was solving mysteries all the time. Mysteries like why he kept getting new partners or why no one asked him for case reports anymore or why his wife took the dog. <laughs> the answer was always the same. He was too much man to handle. And yet something nagged at him, like maybe he somehow hadn't figured it all out. Maybe he himself couldn't handle how much of a man he was. No. Nonsense. It was the women. And he was starting to see that their conspiracy went deeper than he ever could have imagined. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So <laughs> that's my attempt at a James Patterson book shot. Um, how, do, how do we feel I did? Very so, poorly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I think of, of book shots <laughs> about that. So, um, no, I, I mean, I think that. I think that I'm going to keep writing this novel. Criminal Negligence, um, a man venture. Should we perhaps <laughs> have little snippets every once in a while on yeah, yeah, air? Yeah, we can, have, we can have a little thing every now and if then. If our readers don't want that, please emphatically <laughs> tell Eric. I can't imagine that our readers would want that. Eric, please write more like sexist drivel. <laughs> I don't picture much <laughs> of our listeners wanting that. But anyway, um, uh, so I'll be sending that into James. We'll see what he says. Um, uh, How fun would it be to get picked if I if I like got I selected? You're definitely not getting picked with that. <laughs> that was garbage, and you know it, and you know it. I know nothing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, so is it time for the pub tip? It's time for the pub tip because, good lord, please don't read anymore. <laughs> Um, What's so the pub tip of the, the pub day? The pub tip is real simple this week. Um, it's become James Patterson's co-author. <laughs> um, it's one I'm doing, so you can't. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it seems to me that the best way to become a famous author is to 
um, be accepted through the master class. You know what? Even if you don't win the master class. What do you win? Yeah. Well, you win money. You win money? You win lots of money. I'm winning money for this? You, you're you not. You're really <laughs> Someone not. Someone else is winning money um, for this? But it says, so they profile a woman oh, who won last time. Yeah. And they profiled one who won last time. And then it says, she's not the only winner. Two other students got literary agents after becoming finalists. Oh. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Well, so... When you get it, when you get a query in a couple days for a book called Criminal Negligence at LM, and I'm like, I'm gonna like make up a separate Gmail account and query you with this book, and we'll. You know that's actually happened to me before. Has it really? Yes. Remember, I was sitting on your couch when I got rickrolled in a query. Oh yeah, somebody. <laughs> I literally got yeah. rickrolled yeah, by a, a friend yeah. of mine. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, they crafted a query that <sighs> was perfectly tailored to me. Yeah. And then I requested it because they're assholes. You requested it? He I got re- you? It was a great query. <laughs> and I requested it. And then a few days like... later, they sent it. They sent me the first three chapters. And it was like the first three pages started yeah. out really good. Yeah. And then a character like woke up in the middle of the night and started like saying <coughs> Laura. And then yeah. they rickrolled me. Oh. Yeah. Damn. It wasn't pleasant. It feels like that would make it you very easy to like catfish. If you're willing to just like open up any email with whatever your favorite words in a query are, I want to put a bookmark in that for <laughs> later episodes. I think that I'm um, probably not the only one, Eric. <laughs> Mister, well, give me a book about Southern college football and I'll be yours forever. You would be surprised at how easy I am to <laughs> just, you know what, full stop. Just right. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, that probably does it. For that does I think it. we should turn the, the microphones we off. We should turn the microphones um, off. Yeah. Folks, thanks again for joining. We'll see you on Thursday for a query show. Otherwise, we'll see you next Tuesday with when Lily. somebody other than us is yeah, talking. Please, God, thank, bring someone else in to talk. Besides thank God me. for that. Book Bye. Shots.